Today on Security Science, are your gifts spying on you? Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger and today we're discussing the security and privacy of devices and gifts this holiday shopping season. My guest today has a ton of experience both securing and finding insecurities in all sorts of devices, from pen testing infotainment systems to finding remote access and control in Google Home Hubs. Kenneth Security's resident dangerous device discoverer and head of security, Jerry Gamblin. What's up, Jerry? Not much. How's it going, Dan? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And maybe not so much after we go through this list. <laughs> well, if you don't have them ordered by now, you might be running a little late. I think I saw in the news today that uh, the USPS was at 130% of capacity. So if you, have, if you need to order something, do it today. That is a good point. I mean, yeah, shipping this year in COVID with people not going out and shopping must be insane. I wonder how FedEx and UPS are doing as well. Probably the same. I know that they're at my house nearly every day. Jesus. Yeah. If if the amount of boxes I've been receiving is any indication, they are making some money at least. But <laughs> anyway, oh, well, here, let's get back on topic real quick. So, Jerry, I wanted to go back and do a little bit of history with you because you have some notable examples and experience um, actually discovering some of these vulnerabilities. I know I specifically worked with you on the Google Home Hub piece um, from what was that, 2019? Yeah, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well have been 10 years it ago. Was, it uh, was BC, yeah, before COVID. Yeah, seriously, before COVID. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I know like one of your hobbies, so your day job is keeping kind of security uh, secure, helping with our privacy policies, managing our entire infrastructure, all that good stuff. But I know you on the side, Jerry Gamlin, in case anyone who's listening doesn't know, um, you know, hacked your NFC towel to be your RSA badge back in the day. You like to break things. Um, can you just give us a little background on some of your experience? So, so I don't like to break things. I like to figure out how they work, right? Like it started as a kid uh, taking apart an alarm clock and never getting it back together. So, but now I'm a little bit older and my toys are, are a little bit more expensive and they're all connected to the internet now. Um, I, I sit here between a Google home that, you know, I, I used to listen to podcasts during my workday and a TCL TV that I use as a big monitor, right? Uh, they both are on the internet and they both have APIs. The deal is that they were designed to be on home networks. So security is, you know, not thought of very highly when these are built because they're building these devices to put into people's home and they want them to work and security adds friction and friction adds support cost. And these companies don't want to ever have to deal with a security control getting in the way of, of their product adoption. functioning. Or, right? uh, fun, yeah, adoptions. Yeah. We talked about this when we were talking with Google, right? They're like, yeah, we know anybody on the network can factory reset one of these. Uh, we didn't want to add a password to have, you know, that people had to add when they really wanted to do this legitimately. So it's a cost of doing business. So at the end of the day, these devices have zero security built into them. They're designed to be never exposed to the public internet. So every time there's a CVE or vulnerability found for class of one of these devices, uh, always read the articles and see how many of them are exposed to the internet. And it's normally less than a couple hundred to, to a handful. Because while you can reset everybody's Google Nest home, you have to be on their network. And that means that you should know them. And that means it's a really jerky thing to do. 
<laughs> I'm sure Jerry's never done that to anyone for fun. Nope. Ever. Because I have to normally, <laughs> on the other side of that, being the breaker, I'm also the resident fixer. So if I did delete everybody's thing, I would be the guy they called to come in and help them reset it back up 90% of the time. So yeah, like when you get in those heated family debates around the table, you go break something real quick so they get you to go fix them. That's It's a good out at the dinner table. Hey, Aunt Peggy, is your printer still acting up? Let me go and, and download these <laughs> 700 you know, megabytes of uh, printer drivers over your 1.5 megabit DSL. I'll be back in three hours. Yeah, you haven't yeah. updated in like 15 years. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, well, some good background there. Um, oh, real quick, you also do some pen testing on infotainment systems for cars and stuff, right? As a side gig? Yeah, cars are nothing more than IoT on wheels these days, right? So... And, and it's the same the same way. Most of the newer cars have changed their models um, to give you updates for free. But that's only been in the last couple of years. If, if you ever sit in anybody's 2015 uh, Toyota Corolla, it feels like a 2015 Toyota Corolla when the infotainment system comes up because they don't get updates. So there are a ton of bugs that are just in those older cars that will never be patched because... It wasn't in Toyota's R&D budget or their long-term ownership guide to, to you know, keep a team of 10 or 15 developers on to update that, that OS. So, you know, when it's shipped, that's the final version that it has. Yeah, I mean, most cars up until, I mean, really, really recently, you had to drive and have them manually update your maps, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and a lot of the cars now come with a subscription service. So people are like, oh, what is this for? Well, that $100 a month or $50 a month is is for the company to afford to keep a team of developers and QAs on staff to be able to provide that update because nobody, you know, car companies aren't going to pay developers to develop software that they're not going to make any money on. Oh, man. The the days of OTA updates for cars are here. Yep, for sure. Interesting. Well, all right. I'm going to get into the meat of this discussion because we're talking about um, uh, privacy and security of some of the gifts you may be uh, thinking about giving this year. And so we're basing most of this on uh, Mozilla. So they've done their third annual Privacy Not Included report, which is a uh, shopping guide which identifies connected gadgets and toys um, and whether or not they're secure and trustworthy in one chart. So it's a really, really cool site. Um, they've done a really good job over the last few years building this out. So we will link to that and you can go play around with it. Um, I'll do a quick overview. So Mozilla researched um, 76 popular connected gifts available for purchase in the U.S. And the six categories they did were toys and games, smart homes, entertainment, wearables, health and exercise, and pets, which is interesting. Um, so they looked at the privacy policies and read all the EULAs that none of us ever do before we click OK. Um, they sift through the product and app specs. Um, and basically, they're looking for things like, can you delete your data? How is the data stored? Can this stream like live footage? Things like that. So um, does it require passwords? Does it collect biometric data? Things like that to see how... Um, secure or insecure they think it are, uh, they'll give it a little bit of a rating. And for this year, they actually have what they call a creepometer. So um, it's a tool where you get a vote and um, people can, shoppers can rate the creepiness of each product and they use an emoji from super creepy to not creepy at all. And so I picked some of the examples of devices here. We're going to go through those. 
And then at the end, we'll uh, get Jerry's tips and tricks overall. So wanted to get that out of the way. We'll go ahead and link all that in the show notes for the podcast. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or something like that, go to kennaresearch.com slash podcast and you can get the notes there. So with that, Jerry, we'll go right in with the smart home slash office category. Ring doorbell. It got a 48% super creepy rating um, and they're owned by Amazon. So what are some of the uh, security implications with uh, Ring doorbells? Well, the, the biggest security implication is that that they have a pretty open sharing policy and they sh- share your data with anyone. Uh, police officers can our police organizations can sign up and build a neighborhood watch program so that they can access the data from your from your camera. Uh, it also has a pretty heavy AI uh, component where they can start recognizing faces. I have the Nest doorbell instead of the Ring doorbell, but it has the same thing, right? Like it'll tell you when when my son comes home from school. It knows that that's his face and it started tagging it automatically. Whoa. It'll also tell me when there's a package put in front of my house and send me a text when it's picked up. So like it knows when that FedEx guy comes and drops off a package and, and, and sends me a message. But all that data isn't done on the doorbell. It's done in Google and Amazon's giant. MI, you know, machine learning AI databases. And I don't know for a fact what they can and can't use that data for. Can they, you know, are they using my son's image or my image to build a giant model to uh, to sell to somebody else who wants it to a retailer so that yep. they can say, oh, there's Jerry. We know him from from his doorbell and he's in your store now. So here's what he likes or show him this ad. We're going to check you in our Amazon ghost stores now. Yeah, exactly. Shoot products into your hand because we know what you want, Jerry. Here, Jerry, we have your order already (laughs) for you. Wait, what? (laughs) Take out what you don't want from this basket. It'll make it faster. Seriously. Uh, Yeah, so owned by Amazon. I know Amazon's had a ton of, um, I mean, questionable (laughs) privacy practices in the past. Um, And they don't exactly have the best track record there. I think they did this year with uh, BLM movements say that they would not sell facial tracking to law enforcement. Does that count? Does governments count? I'm not. I don't. Like, that That is that's probably <laughs> another uh, podcast are actually, uh, you know, an off the record discussion over some some whiskey, probably. Oh, that's definitely happened once we get this vaccine rolling. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I know uh, Mozilla, They were there was concern about, like you said, uh, law enforcement. They have access through neighbors, the Neighbors app, which is um, uh, Ring's, I guess, community-based app. And you can actually report issues directly to police through the Neighbors app, and it will automatically shell, share your address – uh, information and police can download your video that you let them. And once they do that, where does it go? Do they have a privacy policy? Those are some interesting concerns as well to think about. Yeah, but somebody porch pirates your, you know, your Amazon boxes. You don't really think about that, right? Like it's true. It's instant send. Yeah, get them. <laughs> yep. I want my <laughs> my Amazon order back, right? Like yeah. <laughs> once again, these are you know, ethics questions as in a whole, but when it comes down to individuals, we want the, you know, the options to be able to do this and the ease that it brings to our life. So we're willing to always trade a little bit of our privacy personally for it. 
But when you start talking about these questions as community-wide ethics is where they always start to get the, hey, do I really want to do that? Awesome. Well, it's – I normally am an early adopter of these kind of smart home gadgets and things like that. But I live that San Francisco apartment life, so no doorbell cameras yet, which – uh, I guess is a good thing. I did not know that they could like tell different cats from each other that are walking in front of your door and stuff like that. But that is crazy. All right. So let's move on. Next one. Dyson Pure Cool. So this is something I do have. It's uh, basically an expensive fan. This one received a 35% of votes in the middle creepy section. So it wasn't super creepy. It wasn't not creepy. 35% was the most right in the middle. And the issue here is basically comes down to privacy, right? Um, so sharing personal data and um, Mozilla in this case was just more concerned that they don't know what their privacy data uh, rules were basically. Um, can you go in a little bit of detail on like EULAs and what companies could do with your data? Well, personal data is is questionable there. I have the same, same fan uh, and what it shares is what your air quality is so that it can build kind of a map. And I guess the personal data is that mine always kicks on when I cook because I'm such a bad, a bad cook. So it's like, oh, Jerry's cooking. Uh, so it is part of a, you know, ongoing thing because you can build build something like that because you do know um, reading the EULAs is hard. And I will admit I just scroll through, through it and hit click quite a bit. Cause I'm not, I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one and I always want to get to my new toy. So I'll pretty well accept anything, but sites like this are really important that go through and, and do the work for you. And then there were also, uh, before COVID, there was a big push by state legislatures, especially in California and New York to, to come up with a must be able to read level for you like an eighth grade, you know, common English uh, EULA that says you can have your 40 page EULA that's all in legalese, but you need to have a writer on top of it that in plain English that, you know, 95% of the the population can understand what data you collect and what you explain do like it. I'm five version yeah, of yeah. exactly. And I would really like to see something like that come out because it is so difficult to, to understand what these do. Um, I kind of work at Kenna on some of the contracts things and you just, you know, the difference between F and then are, you know, can and may will, will drive you, you crazy sometimes. Right. Like uh, the other Jerry who does all of our contracts here at Kenna, uh, you know, hates the word can because does it mean that you're going to, or does it mean that you might, you know, so it's words like that, that unless you're a lawyer and you understand what the nuances are, can change the whole meaning of a EULA in, in, you know, in one three-letter word. Well, and I will say too, so my wife actually is a lawyer and she actually does contract review for one of these really, really, really big AI ML companies that helps you find things on the internet. Um, and she doesn't read our EULAs. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, even like practicing contract lawyers do not read EULAs apparently. So I, I think you're you're in good company there. But yeah, I mean, that per 
makes a ton of sense. And a lot of this stuff, like the next one here as well, the Hamilton Beach Smart Coffee Maker, right? Um, there's no express, you know, it's spying on you. It's a coffee maker, right? It doesn't have the ability to, um, it doesn't have cameras, right? It doesn't have any microphones. It works via like, you know, you talking to your Google Home or Alexa or whatever, right? So it's not literally spying on, hey, Jerry said this, I'm going to go report to Hamilton Beach. It's mostly about, right, who owns your data? And that's a lot of the laws in California is like, um, as well, and the EU in particular, right? GDPR and all that, who owns your data? Um, and so with the Hamilton Beach Smart Coffee Maker, it's very similar. So Mozilla had some issues, which got a bite of the way. 39% of users rated it super creepy. Um, um, mostly issues with privacy policy. And so it's not clear if users own their data and if they can delete that data from Hamilton Beach. And I doubt anybody at Hamilton Beach thought about that when they decided to add a add voice recognition to their successful coffee maker, right? Like, yep. It's adding IOT to something is the new version 2.0, right? How much stuff are we buying that just has, you know, Google assistant built in, um, updated my dish network receivers. And now they have Google built into it for some reason. Right. Which is, Oh, neat. The microphone has a Google assistant, but I already have a Google assistant like in my kitchen. And, so I don't need that third one, but it's a quick selling point and everything is is getting these voice assistants added into them without, I'm guessing, a lot of thought by by the companies that are doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then, I mean, the last one. So, I, Jerry, I believe you're a fan of Moleskin, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of Moleskin. I love their notebooks. Um, they're they're favorite. I've been buying them for like a decade. So the last one here is the Moleskin Smart Writing Set. So this is a set of a notebook and a pen that digitizes your notes and automatically uploads them. Which honestly is pretty cool. I think that's pretty badass. Um, I'll put this out there that it has a seventy percent super creepy rating. By the way. So this is the creepiest one that I've seen thus far on Mozilla's, you know, uh, privacy site thus far, <laughs> privacy not included research thus far. Um, but essentially, this one goes back down to privacy. So their policy only covers their website. It doesn't cover the pen. It doesn't cover the app that you use to upload it. Um, and one other thing, this goes exactly what you just said. So they said that you can delete your data, but they seem to have left out any section of contact us in their privacy policy. So they're the Mozilla was like, can we even contact them? Because there's literally no contact information in the privacy policy after they state you can delete your stuff if you contact us. Yeah, and that's why I would never have one of those because in meetings when you write down, this is the stupidest idea I ever heard, and then your boss says that we're going to do that and you want to delete that note, <laughs> you can scratch it out of your mold, mold you know, your Moleskin notebook, but getting it out of their cloud might be a little bit of a different story, <laughs> right? Like Automatically emails Ed. Yep. Jerry wrote this. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's great, especially when you talk about stuff like that's in – what is maybe somebody's personal journal or somebody's, you know, proprietary notebook. So like, yep. How much would, would that be? Can we go to target? Would that be to someone doing corporate espionage? If, you know, somebody at a startup doing really cool car research had one of these and every note they were taking was getting automatically delivered to some cloud 
that, you know, I'm guessing Moleskin isn't in the securing cloud business very well. So, you know, might be an easy target, might not. I've not looked at the product, but that's not their core competency. I'm sure it's just in a default S3 bucket somewhere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's interesting, too, because uh, when you think about something like smart pen, right? It's not only like one of the value adds to your point about like UX and getting out of the way is normally OCR, right? So character recognition, converting handwriting into searchable, readable, machine <laughs> understandable text, right? Um, so yeah, it's basically an index of everything you've written on top of being able to what was like our main security measure for like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years was our signatures, right? So now it just has your handwriting. So it's interesting. Kind of kind of to get not off topic, but kind of stay on topic a little bit. Um, you see a lot of these technologies early on get adopted by what I like to call the pointy hair boss crowd, right? Like, <laughs> like people who have a lot of disposable income bought are, are early adopters to these. When I was young and I couldn't afford the iPhone 7 or whatever, you know, who had one? The CEO on the day they came out because, yep. you know, they got one. They, they always had the latest and greatest. So you have people who don't have an opportunity to play with these needing to secure them because people on their C-suite are getting them, right? Like like this $500 pin might never end up in a on your security team's desk, but you know, your chief financial officer got one because they're super hard to buy a holiday gift for, so their loved one bought them one and now they're taking all the company's notes on that without any way for the for their security team to review it. So that, that's interesting. That yeah. always gets me because you see that so, so much. These early adopters are normally on the upper echelon and people that are that are likely to be, target, be targeted because of what they do. That's interesting. So you know what that reminded me of, of uh, Google Glass and glass holes. Yep. Remember? Exactly. <laughs> it was all rich tech people, right? I remember I was just starting out when that was coming out, um, like had – not enough money to go buy one, right? I actually made a reservation, tried, and then got a date to go and get fitted and was like, I can't afford to buy this. Um, but yeah, that's interesting because the demographic that inherently, you know, has a lot of disposable income to play around with a smart pen, right? When a 25 cent Bic is more than satisfactory for most people. Yeah, but you need to get that that person in your life who's, uh, you know, who's has that, title something nice that's going to be cool to see in the office so i know that that security people hate the the week after holidays because all this new stuff comes trickling in and gets asked to get added to the to the network speaking spoken like a true CISO is like damn it we got to deal with all these uh new chief executive gifts that come in yeah nor in the old days it was hey can you just put my new ipad on the corporate network now it's can you connect my new smart pen to the corporate network <laughs> I hear smart glasses are making a comeback. Yep. Um, oh, God. I hope not. Anyway, so actually, speaking of random stuff, uh, we'll jump into some toys here. So this is actually a pretty notorious one, DJI. So the, the what, the biggest drone manufacturer on the planet. So we have the Mavic Mini here. It got a 53% super creepy rating. And this one is a little more traditional. So there's been demonstrated vulnerabilities on their Android app that enables the collection of 
a ton of personal data. And these DJI drones are essentially flying high definition cameras that record audio location and do facial tracking <laughs> and everything the ring doorbell does, but mobile and, you know. Well, you, you, you have to know that that's what you're going to get to when you buy one of these because, A, the government wants to know who you are and where you're flying these at and where you can and can't fly them at, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know that we're, you know, I should be in Vegas this week for a reInvent, but I'm not. But I know that the whole area of the Strip is a no-fly zone because it's so close to uh, so close to the airport there uh, that that has to be in the app. So they have to collect this data so that they can tell where you're at. So I think that this is one of those, they collect the data, but they probably have a reason to. I would be more concerned about some of the other gifts that kids get, like the connected, other connected toys. If, you know, does this Barbie really need to be on Wi-Fi? Like, does this remote control car have to, you know, have Bluetooth enabled kind of stuff? Uh, that's that's kind of where where I worry a little bit about that. Well, here, let's get into one, actually. The next one I had for the toy section was the KidCraft Amazon Alexa 2-in-1 Kitchen and Market Set. So this one also tied with the Moleskin with the 70% super creepy rating. I totally agree with this one. Um Basically, it's like this kitchen slash market set that's designed to teach kids how to shop by having them talk to Amazon Alexa. So, (laughs) I mean, that may be the way that they only do things going forward. But, I mean, having your kids having a direct conversation with Amazon seems a little interesting for a toy. Um, So, Jerry, thoughts? I mean, (laughs) how else is my son going to learn to copy me when I say, hey, Alexa, Add scotch to the shopping list, right? So that he can go back to his room and add that to his uh, to his play shopping list. No, it's it's marketing. Exactly. Yep. It's just trying to keep, you know, cook that next generation of shoppers and make them used to using that tool. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll call this out. So Amazon does say that any child directed Alexa skills is what they call them when you say something to Alexa and it does something. Uh, they can't promote any products, content or services or direct end users to engage with content outside of Alexa. So they can't like link kids to other stuff via, I don't know, their smart kitchen set. Um, they can't sell digital or physical products or collect any personal information. So Amazon knows that, hey, you know, letting us talk to your kid directly and vice versa is probably pretty creepy. So they actually have a pretty strong privacy policy. Um, so Mozilla says themselves that probably everything's okay. But again, this is more for me. Do I want my kids being marketed to, right? <laughs> like I, I already teach them. Um, I think one of my, my son's just over two years old and he already says Google because we use our Google to play music and all that all the time. So he's like, this is how I ask for things, right? And which is kind of weird to think about. But um, yeah, just more of the marketing implications. Yeah, I'm a sixth grader. I will tell you that having a Google Home is a godsend for us because he'll ask me, like he'll be doing his homework and ask me a definition of a word. And I'm like, dude, instead of asking me, who probably knows the definition, but it might not be 100% accurate, why don't you just use the, you know, the supercomputer on your desk who will give you the dictionary definition of the word 100% so you know that it's right, right? Like, so maybe a little bit of it is, is you know, not doing my parental responsibilities 100% right. But if I don't know, that's what I'm going to do. So, like, why not cut out the middle person here and go directly to Google? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's weird about the KidCraft thing is it's a toy, right? Yeah. So we use our Google Home Hub, <laughs> um, but we use that with our son all the time, right? So, hey, show me uh, Brachiosaurus, right? Tell me about that. Or, you know, he'll we'll play music or, you know, um, ask him uh, Dr. Seuss books, right? Stuff like that. It's awesome. It's great for that. But we're normally with him actively doing this stuff. I'm, I'm a little... I, I think I would be a little less, uh, at least with my son's age, less prone to let him go play with a kitchen market set that is asking him to make his Amazon grocery list directly with the built-in speakers, right? Yep. Um, yeah, it's crazy time. <laughs> 100% true. Yeah, just interesting. So it's like, you know, marketing, getting people ingrained, I guess, like apples in schools, right? People get used to it. Um so I don't know how I feel all about that because it is how, what we do to your point, right? Like I use Google when I don't know something, I'm going to go ask it upstairs, right? So, oh man. All right. Uh, the fun, fun category, wearables. Yeah. If it's wearables, your data is going everywhere. Like I would just, um, it's, it's one of those things, if you make a personal choice, I think that that's fine. And you understand that your data is probably being tracked and used by insurance companies, et cetera. It's when you start thinking about giving these as gifts that you really have to, to take a step back and think about, hey, do I know what I'm doing here? Am I giving this to someone who doesn't have a giant digital footprint that I'm going to now increase their giant digital footprint by giving them an Apple Watch or a Fitbit that's going to have all this data flying around on the, on the Internet? Yeah. Well, and you know, so the, I don't have any of the specific ones here because when I looked at the wearables that Mozilla was like, Hey, you should look out for these ones. Um, what's interesting is, so I think wearables as a privacy and security standpoint, they've kind of taken a lot of the brunt of the, you know, the news and coverage on, you know, how dangerous are these, right? People have been talking about it for a long time. Um, I think we'll, you know, you'll mention this at the end with your tips, but one thing that I noticed was that almost all of the wearables, it wasn't Apple, right? It wasn't Fitbit anymore. Um, you know, those those companies who are established that, you know, that security and privacy concerns probably took a hit to their bottom line. So they corrected that or at least, you know, row policies to, you know, seem like they did. Um the most of the wearables that Mozilla was concerned about were some of these new ones out of China, right? So Huawei, Xiaomi um, tend to be more inexpensive, tend to be owned by, you know, large Chinese conglomerates and not to be xenophobic or anything like that. But I mean, there's concerns about privacy of Chinese companies because can they be compelled by government to give up your data, all that fun stuff? Yeah, it's either that or who owns the data at all, right? Like even not large companies, just, you know, Bob's electronics that you've never heard of before, right? Like, are they going to be around in three weeks? Or, you know, do they, you know, outside of, we talked about Hamilton Beach having a security team. Do you think that that wearable that you spent $10 for has a security team? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. I mean, if, if it's a Huawei and a Xiaomi, I'm sure they do. I think a lot of the, the concern is, you know, more about, I guess, government control, right? Government has a lot more leeway in China to go pull data, stuff like that. Not that U.S. government doesn't, right? The, I mean, No, if it's in the cloud and a big company has it, I don't expect them to, like, put up a giant fight to, to protect my personal data, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and here, I mean, getting into the last kind of, like, super privacy area, I... Uh, what about uh, buying those DNA tests? Oh, man, those you know, are 23andMe. Yeah, those, tw those are so, so popular right now because it's interesting because 
everybody wants to know where they came from and what their, you know, what their background is. Um, I think the commercials even kind of play on it a little bit, right? It's like, we're not Irish. Like we're <laughs> like, I think that at some point I saw a study that said 60% of Americans think that they have Irish background when it's like 12% or something. So these are really popular gifts to kind of really fix some of those, you know, for folklore tells about where your family came from. And they're really interesting. What doesn't get covered is what those EULA allows and what, what can be done with that data. Um, you know, hopefully there's no serial killers in your family that are unknown, but a big one in California <laughs> was, was caught because his granddaughter did a 23 and me and, Wait, what? I I haven't heard. Yeah, about it was this. the. I think it was the postal uh, serial killer. Huh. He, I'll find the link and send it to you. We can add it. But it was. A, yeah, we'll add it to the podcast. It, it, it was a big deal. That's how they broke the case. The case was cold because they had the DNA, but like no matches. No match. But somebody found a match through because the granddaughter did a DNA test. Um, huh. So. You know, it's being used for for criminal investigations, which is fine and what you might expect it to be used. But it can also be these. This data can also be used for health data. Right. Like um, I was walking through Target earlier this week. And instead of just like the 23 and me, tell me where it came from. They had like a whole section like what's your metabolism? Are you at a high risk for cancer test? Like what's your kid's eye color going to be? Right. Like so. They're already pulling this data in. And if you have data, you know it can be used um, by insurance companies because insurance companies love data. So does this DNA kit that you're buying your your loved one really just give them a bigger bill for their insurance in the future? <laughs> and the answer is, I don't know, because last time I looked, like the EULA for DNA kits, 120 pages of legalese, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't do that. So I might skip that and let them buy that on their own, because I would hate to be the person who gave someone higher insurance bills for the rest of their life. <laughs> You're like, honey, why did our premiums go up by $30 a month? Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've done an ancestry DNA test from ancestry.com like three years ago, something like that. It was a while ago, right? Um, that data is a living entity. So if anyone's had done these DNA tests over time, um, the apps actually give you more information as they test more people and get more granular globally. So my, yeah, like my data has changed significantly over the last like three years in the app, right? They've like, um, my I'm half uh, Chinese, right? My mom's from Taiwan. And so like it at first they didn't have a seems like a lot of Chinese users. And so it was just these big globs. You're either northern China or like southern China. <laughs> and now it's getting super granular and starting to like actually tag in like I hear some Korean DNA, all that interesting stuff. So the the data is still being analyzed, still being crunched and still being updated years later as well. Yeah, and I think an important thing to remember is that sometimes uh, family lineage isn't exactly what everybody thinks. And I've seen some horror stories of people giving these tests to somebody who comes to find out that they were adopted or their their lineage wasn't exactly like what they what what the story <laughs> was, right? Look, and Jerry, you're responsible because you gave them that test. Yeah, could you see giving? giving your grandparents or, or your parents one of these tests and come to find out that they're, you know, 
the person that they thought was their mother, their biological mother or father wasn't their biological mother or our father, right? Like, oh, that's crazy. Because you, yeah. you, you put it up there, and like you said, ancestry will build you a, will build you a family tree. You give it to your, you know, to your seventy-year-old grandmother, and she does it, and then come to find out, it isn't linking her to who her, you know, grandfather was, right? So maybe some new, some new etiquette for DNA testing is let the individuals decide if they want to know that information. Yeah, it would themselves. be it, it could it could turn into something that you weren't expecting and then your covid christmas will also be the christmas that that you destroyed your family so (laughs) worst case scenario well speaking of let's let's go uh you know generally jerry's tips we were talking a little bit about this before we hit record but you know overall it seems like there's a lot of paperwork a lot of eulas that People should, in theory, be reading, but are designed literally not to, right? A lot of privacy concerns, all that good stuff. What are some kind of tips and best practices for people who are trying to buy some cool gifts um, with a lot of stuff that is just connected nowadays, no matter what, right? You, you could struggle to find certain types of gifts that aren't, right? So if you had to provide some best tips and practices for those people shopping, what would that be? I really try not to break somebody's uh, ha- habit of what they're building at their house. That means... I try not to give them their first connected gift and then I try not to get them something that's not in their ecosystem. So like if you go over to their house and they're all Amazon uh, hubs or whatever, don't buy them something from Google. If they're all Google stuff. Don't buy them something from Amazon. Yeah, that's a good point. We're a Google house here, but uh, I know like uh, uh, our parents or my wife's parents are Alexa, right? Yeah. That's, that's all the stuff that they got. You're going to have to beep all of these or people's, computers are going to be our like their home entertainment systems are going to be <laughs> are we going to accidentally dos people all the all this day yeah um no but i think it's important to to not give somebody connected devices if that doesn't seem like what they use and then to keep it in their ecosystem if it is um and i know that it's it's not great but always throw that that gift receipt in there and say hey if you're not comfortable doing this like you know feel free to take it back it's not going to hurt my feelings especially if it's on that creepo meter list, right? Like if you're going to give somebody a ring doorbell, you might say, Hey, I think this is really useful. It'll help, you know, track your packages and stuff, but there are a few downsides, right? Like the state, can go to the police officers, you know, from Amazon, just, just let them make the choice. And then yeah, I think one of the keys is to not buy off brand or, or cheap electronics, if at all possible, as somebody who grew up with the majority of their toys coming from, from non-name brand stuff. And I, I know it's hard. I spent a lot of times at, at the big lots type stores growing up and, you know, it looks the same. It seems the same, but it's not exactly the same quality. And when you get to stuff that's handling your personal data, you, you kind of just want to take a step back and, you know, maybe not buy that off brand, uh, voice assistant or that off-brand connected TV. Yeah, if you can if you can help it, right? Because you don't know the quality and those companies might not be around and it might stop working in two or three years. I for some reason that just reminds what comes to mind when you talk about off-brand connected electronics is those digital photo frames that you can get at like CVS and all that every holiday season yep. they come around, right? Um yeah, no, point taken. That makes sense. They don't the software on them alone, right, is... <laughs> I mean, there's a good reason for this too, right? Like the Mariah botnet, the, the biggest IoT botnet ever, was built off of these. It was built off of uh, 
IP cameras, DVRs that were made in China and shipped around the world for super cheap. But the, their downfall was they had Telnet exposed to the internet, right? Like that's how they were managed. Um, nobody else has had that, right? Like the Google security camera or any reputable cloud security kind of camera stuff didn't have that flaw, but it was these cheap, you know, second tier kind of surveillance systems that had these connected to the internet and somebody found the flaw and used it. And it, and if you get somebody uh, an off-brand IoT device, you could be setting them up to be part of a, a botnet because they're the least secure and and most likely to be hacked in that way. Well, and I, I we didn't talk about this yet, but also a lot of these devices, like uh, some of the wearables, but especially you know some of the stuff like the coffee maker and all that, right? Like you can't really secure those you you have to rely on updates that are proactively pushed in most cases right uh to the device itself right so if i give it to you know uh aunt nancy right she's not going to think about updating her coffee maker right? no no not at all you'll have to do it when you go over for for thanksgiving if that ever happens <laughs> um also really watch it when you buy electronics for kids right especially drones drones is where i've seen a lot of this off-brand kind of thing um because while DJI ranked creepy on that list, uh, some of these drones that come off of Amazon that cost, you know, 30% or whatever, $20, $30. I seen some of them that said, hey, you have to download the controller app for this outside of the, the Google store because we couldn't get it through there or outside of the app store. So like those are definitely where to watch and definitely likely to be siphoning data or storing Download your data. our key logger that is yeah, also controls your drone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, awesome. Uh, we're going to try to get this going so people can shop and buy. Uh, well, maybe return stuff by the time we get this published. Yep. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, Jerry. Did you have any other uh, tips and tricks? Uh, or, uh, well, I'll, we'll save the surprise for which XKCD uh, image we go for for this one. But Jerry, any last words? No, no, have a happy holidays, everyone. And, and you know, really try to enjoy your immediate family this year. And hopefully we're all back to, to craziness and Black Friday stuff this time next year. Yeah, yeah. here, here. Thanks, Jerry. Take it easy, everyone. No problem. Thank you so much.